Lord, we pray that you would, you would open our minds to understand this scripture. And that as you do so, you would take away our desire for vengeance. For we are your children and vengeance is yours. You've shown amazing mercy on us. Let us know the depths of that mercy and fill us with your spirit, who is the spirit of mercy. Lord, we pray that this day, that bonds of bitterness would be broken. We pray that those stuck in resentment would be released. We pray for inner healing for those who have a wounded spirit. And we pray that where possible, relationships might be restored. And where that is not possible or not your desire, Lord, we pray that you would fill, stand in the gap as our, as our interceder and support us and strengthen us with prayer as, as we move forward. Thank you, Lord, for doing what only you can do. Now, Lord, we look to you to fulfill your promises to do these things. Amen. Let's read Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Please hold your finger in Romans chapter 12 and turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, which captures the essence of our passage in Romans 12. Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. In Luke 2, verse 13, we read that God sent a large army of angels to earth, but they did not come for war. They were sent to shepherds in the fields, watching their flocks by night. A whole multitude of the heavenly army, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Or in the familiar King James translation, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, good will toward men. Why was the message of the angelic army 
a message of peace and not a declaration of war. Because God is filled with goodwill toward even his enemies. In the words of Psalm 103, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of the Lord. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. And so here in Luke 2, we see a host of mighty angels blessing the Lord and declaring that God is filled with favor and goodwill toward a world of sinners living in darkness. The declaration of the angels perfectly states what is in God's heart. And this is what our passage in Romans 12, 14 through 21 is all about. The good-natured mercy and good-heartedness and kind favor that is so rich and full and overflowing in God spills into us, spreading like light that seems to make its way into all the corners of a dark place so that our natural feelings of getting even are overcome when people do us wrong. They are overcome with words of blessing and peace. Thus, we participate in God's work of overcoming evil with good. The spirit of this passage comes right out of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5, 38 and 39. He says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Our text in Romans is primarily about how being children of God makes us peacemakers through showing mercy. And why, and why vengeance is the Lord's. And how that sets us free from resentment. Romans chapter 12 verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. This is how we bring the culture of the kingdom of heaven to earth because we are citizens of heaven, are we not? Amen. We are strangers in this land. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Have you ever thought about that for a minute and thought, that is totally unrealistic? Mm -hmm. Nah, nah. 
Because God lives in us, we are genuinely, actually, realistically empowered to live in harmony with one another. This is, I think, the most awesome work of salvation. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight, quoting the Proverbs. You can't forgive or refrain from or restrain your feelings of resentment or your desire to get even unless you are meek. Being wise in your own sight, being haughty, will prevent you from living in harmony with fellow Christians because it's impossible to show mercy when you're so great and they're like an ant in your eyes. But when everybody is on the same playing field, when I'm as you and you're as me, when, when the mercy of God has filled me with gratitude and made me meek, then I can have mercy on you and you on me. Haughtiness will stop mercy. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Why does he say, if possible? Well, because it's not always possible to be at peace with everybody. But as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. So most of the time we think of that in terms of, uh, you know, if some person out there who's a really bad person who we don't maybe have much to do with, uh, maybe the nearest they get into our lives is they're a boss or something, you know, but they're still, you know, that's the, that's the outsider to Christian community, and I'm here, or we are here. And that person, like, deeply wronged me. Maybe there was a murder. Maybe there was a great transgression. You know, don't avenge yourself. Leave it to the wrath of God. But this passage is more about life within Christian community than it is about how we behave towards outsiders, although, of course, it spills over into that. So we bring this home. This is about our relationships. Beloved, never avenge yourselves is for spouses and for parents. Because when we examine ourselves, we find that the flesh, the flesh is ugly and it is often rearing up within us to avenge ourselves in those subtle ways where we gotta make sure the other person knows we were right or we've gotta get even. We bring, we mediate the presence of God into these very relationships, into the nearest relationships. That's where your Christianity starts. That's where the word puts on flesh in you as Christ is formed in you, in your homes, in your nearest relationships. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, 
give him something to drink. And now here's the twist. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Doesn't that seem not very Christian? The most interpreters vary widely on how we should understand that quotation from the Proverbs. Uh, I have heard it said that that doesn't mean heap burning coals on their head. I've heard it said that there's this old tradition that if, you know, you needed to kindle your fire so you could cook or heat your home or whatever, you'd cross the street, go to your neighbors, and you'd take this, like, fireproof basket, and, and, you know, they'd share some of the coals from their fire with you, and you'd carry them, and, you know, you see people carrying water on their heads where they can carry their basket of coals on their heads, and they go back home, and, you know, and they can kindle their own fire. That sounds very nice. Um, the problem with that is that in the Old Testament, burning coals are always for judgment. And yet, if you flip back to uh, the verse in Proverbs 25, uh, verses 21 and 22, which Paul's quoting, it says, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. But in your heart, harbor against him feelings of resentment and wish and be thinking that this is like burning coals falling on you. It kind of goes against the spirit of the passage. This is a little bit of a difficult one to understand, but we can understand this. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat, Proverbs 25, 21. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Um, reading from my ESV study Bible note, it says, it is likely an image for leading that person to repentance or shame suggesting that he will feel inward burning pangs of guilt for his wrongdoing. So in our heart should be desire for that person to repent. But the fact remains that God isn't just a merciful God. He is also a God of vengeance. But vengeance is not mine. Not even to harbor in my heart that satisfaction that God's going to get him. I'll be nice, but God's going to get him. When that's in your heart, you didn't understand the spirit of this passage. Let's be honest, church. <laughs> if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The, the gist of this is that mercy is not optional. Mercy is required by God. James chapter 2, verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's bring that to the context of our relationships with one another. 1 John 4.20. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And again, Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, Matthew 5, 9, for they shall be called sons of God. Mercy 
is one of the chief means by which we bring heaven to earth. Mercy is the culture of the kingdom. Making peace by showing mercy to each other makes the kingdom of God visible. And Christ is revealed in our midst. Mercy is not just something we do. It comes out of who we are. Mercy is an identity thing. Peacemakers are sons and daughters of God. It says of God in Psalm 46, 9, He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. God doesn't just make peace by the blood of his enemies. God makes peace by the blood of his son. Jesus, the eternal son of God, went to the cross to die for other people's sins. In Jesus is embodied both the mercy and the wrath of Almighty God. Colossians 1:19 and 20, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to smash and bash everyone who offended him. No, no. And in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or in earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. Have mercy, therefore, because your heavenly Father is merciful. Luke 6, 27 through 36, Jesus said, I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies. And do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Where are we to show mercy? It starts at home. Our spouses, children, housemates, neighbors, other drivers on the road, the other political party, other Christians who don't do what we would do or who don't think what we would think, but especially our spouses, housemates, parents, children. Mercy doesn't always mean reconciliation of a relationship. Sometimes, this passage teaches us, it means turning them over into God's hands 
And God will know what is right in his sight, whether to have mercy on them like he did, on murderers like Moses, Simeon and Levi, David, and in the New Testament, Saul, whose name God changed to Paul, who wrote the book of Romans. He showed mercy on them by putting their sin on the Son of God and putting his Son's righteousness on them. He gave them new identities. And for those who sinned not in ignorance, but willfully after they had begun to trust in God, for them, his mercies were new every morning. But for others, the Lord shows himself to be a God, not of mercy only, but of justice. Isaiah 30, verse 18. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you and therefore, he rises or he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who are all those who wait for him. Amen. Now let's talk about what's wrong with mercy. What? What's wrong with mercy? Nothing's wrong with mercy. But mercy is incomplete by itself. Mercy is perfected and is infinite in God. But God is both perfect in mercy and without fault or flawless in wrath. If there is no wrath, there is no justice. And very few people with any conscience would imagine that they would like to live in a world with no justice. And here is a real life example of how mercy can be wrongly used. Not that there is anything wrong with mercy, there is not, but we can be wrong in how we show mercy. How many of you have been told that you are an especially merciful or compassionate person? You gotta raise your hand. We're a responsive church. There's no hands. Come on. Right. Of those with your hands raised and those who are too embarrassed to do so, how many of you have become painfully aware that you have been willing to sink your own ship in order to save others? Or that you got in over your head trying to help someone who was beyond your level of wisdom expertise, and ability to help in a meaningful way. And it cost you dearly trying to help with little to show for it except a hard lesson learned. It's probably most of us. In showing mercy, we have to remember two things. God is a merciful God, but it is right of God to be at the same time a wrathful God. You have to know when to turn someone over to let God deal with them. Whether for vengeance or for mercy, God decides. If we would flip over a few pages from Romans 12, we would find ourselves in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes, For though I am absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. 
when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present, with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. When we rightly understand the Lord, we know that even in us, being merciful and passing judgment are not mutually exclusive. There is a time to hand someone over to the Lord, for the Lord is a righteous judge, executing justice for the oppressed. Yet, he is not willing that any should perish. Look at Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. God has given us this way of sharing in his anger over wrongs committed, but not sharing in taking vengeance against those who wrong us. And in this way, he who is without sin pronounces judgment, and we are released from the heavy burden of our anger. And we are able to go to sleep in peace at night, knowing that God's justice will prevail. God is wrathful in the most righteous, equitable, and reasonable way possible. And he says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. Therefore, I can forgive and release. I'm calling on God to forgive his offenders. I don't have to stay angry. And we have the promise that if we forgive others their sins, if we forgive others their sins, our Heavenly Father will also forgive us. Number two, we have to remember when showing mercy that we do not show mercy so that we can get something in return. Like, I gave you another chance, so now you owe me. Showing mercy does not necessarily mean that mercy will be reciprocated. At least, the person to whom you show mercy may never come around. But guaranteed, our Father will see your good deeds done in secret and will reward you. He will see that you were merciful on his behalf and he himself will show you mercy. It pleases God to show mercy, especially to those who show mercy. Showing mercy does not necessarily fix everything that was wrong, but it does vindicate God when he judges. Who will say to God at the great white throne judgment, you never gave me a chance? Perhaps many people. He may then say to them, my servant so-and-so gave you a chance and you refused me. 
You see, we don't show mercy so that we can get something in return, but it always brings us closer to our Father in heaven, who is the Father of mercy and the God of all compassion. And in the end, if the person doesn't come around or the relationship cannot or should not be restored, God is vindicated in his judgment. Before we close, we must look at two barriers to giving and receiving mercy. Number one, accusation. Sometimes others accuse us and sometimes we accuse ourselves. In Revelation 12, it says that Satan accuses us day and night. Sometimes we listen to the voice of accusation and then we let that become our reality. And then we resist receiving mercy from God. We can get to a point where we say to ourselves, I'm unlovable, but that is a lie. In Romans 9:25, God says, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. Do we deserve mercy? Well, no. But who am I to judge myself? 1 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, Paul says to the church, I do not even judge myself. It is the Lord who judges me. Romans 9, 15, God says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Let God be God. Don't judge yourself. Take your sins to the cross of Christ and kneel in his presence. Let God be the one to judge you. Let what he speaks over you be your reality, not the voice of the accuser, whoever that is. 1 Peter 2.10 says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We get to watch the mercy of God go from theoretical to personal in the person of Jesus Christ. Titus 2.11 says that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. He did not come into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. John 3.17. When you see Jesus on the cross, he leaves no room for doubt that God became a man to have mercy on you. So much for accusation. Jesus said to the woman, where have your accusers gone? Why did he ask that? Because they were gone. Another barrier to mercy. Number two, bitterness. Bitterness will stop the flow of the Spirit. Amen, church? Amen. Bitterness against someone else is withholding mercy. Withholding mercy and holding on to a grudge. This is the opposite of how God has treated you. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, 
neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Matthew 6:15. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Matthew 5, 7. James 2.13 says, Judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Is there someone in the church against whom you are bitter or holding a grudge? That person is a servant of Christ. He or she belongs to Christ. If you are bitter against someone in the church, remember this word. Romans 14.4, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. In the parable in Matthew 18.33, the king forgave his servant a debt that he could never repay. And then he called in his unmerciful servant and said to him, and should you, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Bitterness will stop the flow of the Spirit. In conclusion, so how do we become merciful people? There are basically two ways that we become people of mercy. And the first is that we were shown mercy. Romans 12:1. In view of God's mercy for me, when I consider it, I am softened and filled supernaturally with a godly goodwill for others. So you can't really give what you haven't received. You being a merciful person starts with you routinely and thoroughly confessing your sins to God and finding mercy for yourself. You will make mistakes in life. And by taking those directly to the Lord to find mercy, when he covers for your sins, it changes you. Number two, by renewal. Romans 12.2. We need to renew our minds in the scripture, meditating on this very gospel, daily remembering, reflecting, and meditating on passages like this one in Romans 12 until by constant practice, our minds are trained and transformed and the mind of Christ becomes ours. His thoughts have become our thoughts. And that won't happen without worshipfully and prayerfully meditating on the scripture day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. As the servers for communion come forward, let the rest of us bow our heads and pray. Lord, put your laws into our minds and write them on our hearts. Be pleased to be our God and we shall be your people. Let us all know you from the least of us to the greatest. Be merciful toward our iniquities and remember our sins no more. Amen.